Hello, and welcome back to the Irish Tennis Updates podcast. My name is Adam, your host. This week, I have been chatting to Larry Yurovich. Larry is a Canadian coach, and he currently operates three tennis centres in Canada. Earlier on in his career, Larry spent a number of years in Ireland, where he worked with players such as James McGee and James Kluski. We talk all about Larry's journey, which has also brought him to working in countries including the UK and China. And finally, more recently, Larry has currently er, is currently offering a tennis scholarship to two Irish juniors who are over in his centres in Canada at the moment, training and competing. This is a great opportunity, and we talk about this and the future of of Larry's international tennis in the his academies. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode and hearing all about Larry's journey in tennis coaching. And here we go. Here is Larry Yurovich. All right, Larry, uh, how are things? A big welcome to the show. Uh, how are things with you? Thanks, Adam. Uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Everything's great. Yeah, looking forward to our chat. Great, absolutely. Um, yeah, let's get straight into it. And I know that you are currently based in, in Canada, where you have been for a few years. And I think a, a part, part of why, how we, we got in touch is that you, you've recently have launched kind of a, a bit of a scholarship program, which I guess you'll explain now with bit of a link with, with Ireland. So I guess do you want to just get into explaining a little bit about what that is and, and how that came about? Sure. Yeah. So we, um, I, I'm originally from Canada and after bouncing around doing a lot of different jobs, I moved back here in 2009 and that started a long process. It took six years, but in 2015, we opened a new tennis facility here, just, uh, just in sort of the outskirts of Vancouver. And the goal always was to basically get off the road and not have to do 150,000 air miles a, a year anymore. Uh, we wanted to live in Vancouver where we're from, but at the same time, all the tennis in Vancouver is dominated by private clubs and really sort of posh places where junior development isn't a priority. So it really became obvious that if we were going to do uh, what we want to do, that we'd have to build our own center. So, you know, long story short, we spent six years getting that center built, opened in 2015. And for the last six years, we've been working on building the program. And, you know, we're now at a position where we've got three facilities. Between the three facilities, we have about 1,400 kids in the program. Um, but as far as the, the sort of let's call it high performance program, I don't love that terminology, but the high end of the program is, is getting close to 60 kids and we had a, a handful of kids be top five and top 10 in Canada this year in the national championship. So what we found is that, you know, as we've developed our player base and the quality and numbers have been going up and up, uh, it seemed like it was the right time now to try to uh, take the next step and, and develop sort of, um, let's call it a more international academy. And so we've done this whole branding piece around that, but more importantly, we've, uh, you know, we've been reaching out and it was obvious to reach out to Ireland. I still have nice relationships with uh, a bunch of the people that um, I worked with back uh, back there in the day. And so I reached out to some people and Garrett Berry and James Kluski were instrumental in, in uh, connecting me with the two families that have come over here and, and uh, we've added them to our team. So now it's great for here because as much as when you're in Ireland, I know you always feel like you're in this kind of small little country. It's funny because well, from Canada, we see Ireland as being in Europe and Europe is the center of tennis. But uh, in Ireland, it sometimes feel like you're a little bit off to the side. And it feels like that in Vancouver, too, on the West Coast of North America. It's not the same population density as the East Coast. 
never mind Europe. And so to be able to bring in some international players to add to our player base, uh, to support the environment, you know, give more quality hitting partners, more quality training uh, is fantastic. And, and the goal is to bring our entire team to Europe for the whole summer next year um, as sort of this process of going from a local community facility that's been building up over the last year, six years, to a legitimate international academy. So, so yeah, having the two Irish guys come over um, was fantastic. It started off uh, great, and we're looking forward to you know making this whole team international. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And so, do you have players from other countries at the moment as well, other than Ireland? We have um, we have always had players that come and go. Um, you know, whether that's players that are you know very successful you know they're playing at a high level and they want to come in for a month or two uh, they'll come in and do some little training blocks with us that's something that happens from time to time uh, we have kids that are college players in the u.s but obviously college tennis finishes in april or may depending on how well you do in the ncaa's and so maybe they would come up and spend some time with us we have had some full-time players um, before Sean and Jack come over. Like we had a boy Hanamichi from Chile for about a year and a half. And so it's not unprecedented, um, but this was the first time that it has been proactive on our end. Up until now, it's been a lot of, you know, people reaching out and looking for a place to come. And so we're happy to house them. But uh, this is the first time that uh, we proactively went out and tried to build the team this way. Great. Yeah, no, great. And, and just, I guess, to continue on a bit and, talk about your kind of coaching journey like you mentioned obviously the kind of this international sense of getting people from lots of different countries and and that's kind of something that you've had all throughout your career I, I i know you know like you've worked in a whole lot of countries obviously as you said you're, you're from canada you've, you've spent a good bit of time over in ireland and um, i know you've worked in in a good few other countries as well so i guess just run me through a little bit of, of the different places you've worked and kind of what you've learned from different places and the differences in different places and, and things like that Sure, yeah, um, definitely been super blessed that way. You know, growing up in Canada, you're, well, at least in my generation, you're a hockey player. And so I was, uh, I was a hockey player that fell into tennis, but uh, I was very fortunate in the right time and the right place because I ended up connecting with a gentleman named Louis Kaye that you might have heard of. He's one of the real legends in the coaching world and he took me under his wing and and i learned a lot from louis and uh, i always feel like i have to start the start the journey that way because almost every opportunity i've had i can connect to louis because um essentially what happened was i finished my coaching training in canada i'd reached my highest level of qualifications and i developed a kid that had won junior nationals and i was a young guy i was in my early 20s and i asked louis what would be the next step? And he said, I should go to Europe and I have an Irish passport. So was, uh, that was obvious, but Louis was actually doing some consulting for Tennis Ireland at the time. So he put me in charge of the people, or put me in contact with the people in charge of Tennis Ireland. And I just told him, look, I've got a passport. I'd love to come over anytime. Uh, and we just kind of left that as an open sort of invitation. And when Westwood Clontarf was first built in 2000, well, the tennis side in 2000, um, I was offered that job. And so I came over there, I was very young. I was only in my mid twenties at the time, or maybe uh, 26, 27 years old at the time, had a young family. And the, the years in Ireland, my whole family still look back at as the, probably some of the most enjoyable years of our life. Uh, you know, the, the academy was absolutely fantastic. 
you know, probably aware, but in case you're not, like, you know, whether it's James McGee or James Gluskey or Darren McLaughlin, Paul Foley, even guys like um, Daniel Glancy were coming to the program on the weekends from, from the West and stuff like that. When I, when I look back at the quality of that program, I realized just how lucky I was. Um, I probably didn't know as much at the time as I thought I did, but uh, a whole lot of passion and between me and the kids and a whole lot of belief. And we just went out there and, and worked really hard. And, and I think, um, you know, that was my first foray into Europe. Uh, you know, I, I could, these stories could last forever, Adam, but I'll tell you this. The first summer that we went, that, that after I'd been there for a year, I took the team and we played some ETAs in Germany and Austria and Weiblingen and Krems. And it was crazy. We had 14 kids and we came back with one win and 28 losses. James McGee won one round in the first week and then we lost all the other matches. And when we went to, to Weiblingen in Germany, I was blown away because there was a 64 main draw, 128 qualifying and 128 pre-qualifying. So I'm like, man, this is 300 kids and they're all good. And so, um, you know, getting into Ireland and by extension Europe was a critical learning for me just to see the depth of tennis and the quality of tennis is so important as a coach that you understand standards. And so, you know, through that process of working with the guys in Ireland, I really developed my own standards as a coach, understanding what it would take um, to be successful. So, so Ireland was an absolute, you know, it, it was, uh, that's something that we look back so fondly of. We absolutely loved it. And it was a critical step for me in understanding international tennis. So, so that, that was the, you know, big step number one for sure. And then from there, we moved back to Canada and I took a job in Toronto. I was running the, the largest club in English speaking, uh, largest commercial club in English speaking Canada. And it was a big animal. There's, you know, 17 courts and 17 full-time coaches, a massive program. And so, and I was super lucky there because the general manager of that club is probably one of the best off-court sort of under, uh, you know, managers in the tennis business. And so I learned a lot about managing and all the back, you know, back end side of making a tennis facility uh, successful that went along with the coaching piece that I learned in Ireland. And so those two things led me to a new job in England. And again, that's so closely connected to Louis Kaye because by then he had moved to England and uh, he had put my name up for a job there. And so I was, ended up moving over there to take a job, which eventually was called Head of Coach Education and Performance Management. And so at that point, I started to develop all the curriculum and give all the courses to the higher end coaches in, in the UK, um, sort of take charge of their coach education department. But they also have there, you know, with all the LTA kind of funding machine behind it, there was 30 centers at the time around the UK that are heavily funded by the Federation to support junior development. And it was my job to supervise all those academies. And so I'd be out there working with the coaches and the players on everything from goal setting to how to uh, you know, program your, your uh, center right into on-court stuff and how to fix somebody's second serve. And so you know, I, I've just been so fortunate to be just given opportunity after opportunity to not only stretch myself because of the job I've been given, but to just work with some amazing people and keep learning. And so, so in the UK, I think, you know, working with 30 of the top centers and all the good players and all the good kids, again, honed my own coaching. Um, but the one thing that became obvious to me was that somehow my job had become too much about coach education. 
And so, you know, coach education, I, I believe it's critical. I'm a huge supporter of it, but I don't love doing it myself. So it's funny that I ended up getting into that type of job um, almost by accident. And so I made a conscious decision after the LTA job to, uh, to prioritize coaching more than coach education. And so from there, I landed a job as a national coach in tennis China. And so I worked with them from the Asian games in 2010 to the lead up of the 2012 Olympics. And I was working uh, primarily with their women's team, but Fed Cup and Davis Cup, I uh, spent two years full-time there. And um, the, the great part about that is that was the, that was the first time that I spent my, I was full-time on tour, uh, a lot on the WA, WTA tour, but also the ATP tour. So that's another big learning is you get out there and you get exposed to a whole other new level. And so that was great um, through that process. Again, it just keeps upping your standards as a coach. And at that point, I ended up connecting with a Canadian girl um, who started playing doubles with one of the Chinese players. And eventually when my Chinese contract, when I walked away from that, I ended up working with her full-time and spent another four years full-time on the WTA tour as this whole club in Canada was being built. And then, so again, just, um, you know, a combination of meeting the right people, having tons of great opportunities, having tons of great learning experiences. I feel it puts me in a position now. And, you know, of course I'm getting pretty old. Eventually, if you, if you don't get wiser, you're only getting older. That's what they say, right? Um, but um, at, at this point now, I feel like I'm in a position where I can run the tennis business side of things in a way that allows us to have three successful clubs. Um, but also I've got enough experience in the player development and the coach ed side that I can make sure that we've got, you know, the strongest coaching team in Canada, as far as I'm concerned, I may be a little biased, but I feel good about that. Uh, and in a real up and coming uh, junior development program. So, you know, it's been, it's been a long journey, but it's all sort of um, a, uh, a culminated in being here, having our own center and, and being super excited about what's going on. So. That's all great, Larry. And obviously, the fact it is a long journey, as you said, and all the different places that it's brought you. And I guess more recently, you mentioned China, which is must have been totally different to the other places that you'd been, um, which which is great. And obviously, you got your tour experience as well. Um, I just want to bring you back a little bit to the time in Ireland. And, you know, you mentioned the names of some of the players that, that would have been kind of in the program you had. And it definitely, you know, like, like a lot of those players are, are some of the most successful that we've had in the last few years. Like, why, why do you think... It, it kind of worked it with how well and it, it produced um you know some of those really really good players uh, i think it, it was a huge combination of things you know you, you can never understate the luck side of things you know um, i know that when i first got there i accepted a part-time position obviously as i mentioned i was there to run the westwood club in Clontarf, but i offered a i was I accepted a part-time position doing two days a week of Leinster squad training. And they asked me which group I'd like. They said I could take any group I wanted. And obviously I didn't know any of the Irish kids, but I picked the U14 boys because I, I felt like, uh, you know, that gave me long enough with the age group that I could really make a difference. Um, and I picked the boys just probably being a hockey player. I had more experience being around boys than girls. Now I've got two daughters. That's really changed a lot over the years, but at the time. And, uh, and so when I went out there, we had these squads out in Westwood Leopardstown and I was living in Malahide with no car, training it into Clontarf every day and getting over to Leopardstown was such a pain. And, uh, and so once I started to work with this squad, the group at the time was James Klusky, James McGee, Darren McLaughlin and Paul Foley. And they, they were great kids, everybody got along. And when I got talking to them, it turned out that all four of them were from North, North Dublin too. You know, McGee was from, uh, was from Castle Knock, but I mean, Klusky was from Sword 
swords and fall folios from Clontarf and there is, I can never remember the area that Dara is in was called, but it's up kind of halfway between Clontarf and Malahide. And so I said, guys, why are we driving all the way to Leopardstown every all the time uh, when we're all living in the same area? And so, so they agreed to come over and do all their training at Westville Clontarf. And it became obvious at the time that, you know, as a general rule, the kids in Ireland weren't training nearly as much as would be recommended internationally. I, you know, I was aware of what those numbers were. And so we very quickly turned that from a program that was, you know, two, two hour sessions a week to the point that the kids were doing six days a week, four hours a day, and we're training for 24 hours uh, 24 hours a week and, and we had a great fitness program and back that uh, you know I was doing my best with where I was at as a coach and bringing a lot of energy and passion to it so I think it was a great group of kids that got super lucky they all lived close to each other they were all really pushing each other hard I was doing my best to keep up with them and uh, yeah it was just a, a group of people that all came together at the right time and uh, you know it turned into something really special I, I, I'm super proud of, of what that was and I'm super proud of the relationship I still have from that time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and you say that you know that it is a lot of, of hours a week, and I guess you can see that it, it it paid off, and and those players obviously did turn into you know really really good players. Um, so yeah, you had the results from us, which which is brilliant. Um, and I just want to, to ask you, you mentioned earlier on about about Louis Kaye and how he kind of helped to guess open some doors maybe for you in in in, in Europe and and elsewhere. But how do you think, or what do you think you learned from him? Like as as a coach, in terms of like how you coached or what what, what do you think you learned from him um, on that yeah. side? Honestly, Adam, it would be an easier list to say things I learned from somebody else because uh, you know you pick a lot of things up along the way. But Louis was a very close mentor of mine, and now I count him uh, very fortunately as one of my close friends. And so I've spent so much time working with him. The foundation of my entire coaching methodology is based on what Louis taught me, and um, you know I had enough chance over the years to work with them to to hopefully contribute a little bit to what I would think of what I would always refer to as his system. But in the end, everything I do as a coach is is based on what he does. You know, if, if somebody's not familiar with what he does and, and therefore what things I might be talking about, you know, I, I'd say probably the most important piece, and it's interesting, we'll probably segue this conversation a little bit into Jack and Sean, who are super fortunate uh, to have over from Ireland now. But when I'm talking to the guys, you know, and I just ask them to describe, and, and I hope I'm not mischaracterizing this, uh, but when I ask them to describe their training, it sounds like a lot of practice sets, a lot of like finding good older players to hit with and kind of push them. Um, and it's it's remarkable to me how many times and how many places around the world, that's what people are doing. They're just scrambling to put a program together and get enough hours and enough good hits and and hope at the end of that, it turns into uh, good tennis. And and I don't believe in hope, you know, I believe in planning and I believe in measuring, measurable goal setting, you know? And so I think that what Louis taught me most for, first and foremost was the specificity of what it is to develop a tennis player. And, you know, probably the easiest one, if I, you know, since we're on a podcast, I'll tell you an anecdotal one that was quite interesting was that when I first went to China, and they asked me to do some work with the Davis Cup team, uh, the four potential guys that would be playing doubles. And so I went out there and after doing a little bit of a training session on the first day, I asked the guys, you know, they're going to play a practice set. And I gave them the goal of getting minimum 75% of their first serves in. And then, you know, amongst other things. And then as they're playing, I charted it. And at the end, they were more like 55, 60%. And so I, you know, I reported the evidence or I reported the stats back to them. I said, just so you know, guys, you didn't meet your goal. You're 55, 60%, not 75 
And this same pattern replayed itself for four days straight where they just kept getting 55, 60% instead of 75. And so after four days, I don't know if that was too patient by me, I don't know, but after four days, I asked them, I said, just out of curiosity, guys, what are you doing to try to get 75%? Because so far you haven't moved off of 55, 60. And I said, well, we're hoping. And I was like, what? Your professional tennis players on the Davis Cup team and your strategy is that hope you'll serve better tomorrow. And there was nothing specific as far as changing targets, changing your approach to the serve, anything like that, that could actually make a, a you know, a, an intentional change that would have a chance to impact the result. And, and you know, I, I find too much of that everywhere I go. Oh, a lot of people just hoping they're going to get good just by playing a lot, um, you know, and, and trying to scramble around and finding hits. And so what Louie taught me is how to be systematic. He taught me how to systematically plan a program, how to systematically build skills. And, you know, we don't leave anything to chance. We, we've got very specific goals that we think are, are based on the most important developmental priorities for our players. And, and we work hard to reach those goals. So, so we feel strongly at the end of the year, we've gotten better. Yeah, so like obviously you mentioned kind of the system and how he's kind of, that's kind of been sort of the influence that I mean, one of the influences he's had on you. And I guess the, one, maybe one of the main examples that people would think of is obviously now he's working in, in British doubles. And I know I would have heard of, of kind of, the, you, know, the, you know, all the success that those doubles players have that kind of very much is a system of, of how you play and what you do and certain shots and certain moments and all that stuff. And, you know, the players do it and it works. And I think that's a good example of kind of the system that he he brings and or the type of system he brings and, and how successful it can be is it's an interesting one um, and and just um obviously again any coaches who are listening to this will know that louis was was speaking at the the national conference just the, um, the other week or one or two weeks ago which was great you know to, to hear from him and you know he's obviously as you say fascinating to to hear from and and yeah just just an amazing guy amazing guy and amazing coach and then just to move on um larry i, I to just kind of to bring you back a baby a bit earlier in, in your kind of coaching journey of, of how how did you get into tennis and, and how then did you move into the, the into the coaching world of it? Well, it's a ridiculous story, really. Uh, as far as the coaching world goes, probably um, a less less common path. But I always wanted to be a coach. You know, I grew up as a sort of a, a all round athlete. I was uh, you know a reasonable hockey player by Canadian standards. Uh, really good hockey player by our standards. I don't know if you know that a little bit, but I, I did represent uh, the Republic of Ireland in two world championships. So I, I've still got the jersey hanging in my TV room. Um, but yeah, I grew up as a multi-sport athlete. Hockey was really my main passion, I, but I knew I was going to coach one day. I, I love coaching. I love the notion of helping people uh, reach their potential. That sort of thing is what excites me. And so, um, you know, I figured it'd probably be a hockey coach because obviously that was my main sport. But in the end, in grade 12, um, I was, so my senior year of high school, uh, there, I didn't even realize it, but a kid on my hockey team, his dad owned the local tennis club and there was a big snowfall and it was a bubble that brought the bubble down. And he said to the team that uh, if we'd come out and shovel the snow off his bubble, he would sponsor our hockey team for the year. So we did that. And then he said, hey, anybody who plays tennis, I'll give you a free membership. And I played a little bit of tennis. Not a ton, but a little bit. And so I said, yeah, I'll take that membership because hockey practices were at midnight and two in the morning. So I had lots of time after school. And I started to play there nonstop uh, because it's such a great sport. And within a few months, they offered me a job answering phones. And when the summer came along, they told me if I'd go get my entry level certification, they'd give me a summer job coaching camps. And you know, I honestly thought that was gonna be it. And I was gonna continue on as a hockey player slash hockey coach. 
but doors just kept opening and then it just became so obvious that that tennis was the way to go um, you know that my first boss was uh, somebody who had also kind of mentored under Louis and and so he kind of opened those doors for me and then once once Louis took me under my under his wing it was just uh, such a vision was created for what I could do through tennis that that was the obvious choice yeah yeah no, I guess it's it, it's good for all of us that that's how it worked out in the end even though maybe it wasn't yeah, you know, there was a bit of doubt maybe along the way that tennis would be the, the ultimate route, but we're, I'm, I'm happy it was. <laughs> um, yeah, not everybody feels that way, but thank you. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, just in, in kind of, if you were to give some advice to, to young kind of maybe coaches who are get looking to get started in, in the game, what kind of advice would you, would you give to them? Young coaches? Well, you know, from, from what I've, this is what I'll say. There, there's a great book that I like that's called um, Artistry Unleashed by a woman named Hillary Austin. And so she, she talks about three things that are required to essentially master your field. And so the first one, um, I'll use my normal terminology instead of what she calls it in the book, but the first one is to understand why you're doing something. You better be really closely connected to, to what motivates you, what you're passionate about, um, because if you're not passionate about it, then there's just no chance that coaching is a good career for somebody who's not passionate. It's too hard. You know, like when I was spending 150,000 air miles a year and, and, you know, working until midnight and working at 5 a.m. And, you know, it's not a job for somebody who's not passionate about it. So first one, you better connect with your passion and make sure that it's something that you really want to do. But if it is something you want to do, then the second thing that she talks about is essentially get yourself educated. And then, you know, that is what I've done. And so I've been through every coaching course that anybody ever offered. I took it uh, every coaching, uh, you know, you mentioned the conference that Louis just speaking at as a matter of fact the first coach that I just referred to at my very first club Wayne Elderton also spoke at that Irish conference uh, funny enough but um, in the end uh, you know you've got to get educated I believe strongly in that and even when people played at a high level I still think it's critical that they go and get education it underpins a lot of what we do and and in the end uh, more than anything if if you're ever struggling you can fall back onto formal things you know like Sean and Jack here have already been bugging me when I I'll start talking about you know the physics formula for momentum and things like that you know but uh, in the end th this education underpins our work um, and so I think it's absolutely critical and then the third one if you're very passionate and you get a good education then the third thing you need is experience and so yeah, it's absolutely critical that you're willing to, to take every experience offered to you and so for me that meant leaving small town suburban Vancouver at the time uh, and and taking every job I could I, I had three or four jobs in, in around here as I kept growing and getting more opportunities and that was all before I was 25 years old and then at 25 I moved to Ireland then Toronto then England then China uh, just trying to just grow in my own experiences and so I think that's what it comes down to if you're passionate get yourself educated and, and say yes to every single possible experience especially if it's around uh, you know a level of play that you haven't had a chance to be with yet or an experienced coach that you could learn something from you know if you've got those three things passion education and experience you're going to be good that's great yeah no, that's great and and uh, and what, what do you think is next for you obviously you're you've been in this kind of center for a while what do you see as the next next few steps well this is it for me you know i uh, uh, it's funny because we don't, I, I never even started with some 
master plan to build three tennis centers and you know in a couple of years if we have three or if we have five it, that's fine with me it was never a goal about building centers as a goal about player development and and building the centers was a way to have an infrastructure both with the right amount of courts and right amount of coaches and, and quite frankly enough money because it's an expensive journey to develop tennis players and so you know we put this whole process in place uh for the for the plain simple goal of developing professional tennis players and you know i can tell you in, in 2013 the girl the canadian girl i was coaching qualified for the main draw of the u.s open and so did james he qualified for the main draw of the u.s open and uh so i had two two players that i've been very heavily involved with playing in the main draw of the u.s open and uh as i as I say to people here, I'm, I'm determined that that isn't the highlight of my coaching career. And so, you know, the goal is to develop more professional tennis players. The goal is to develop, um, you know, Grand Slam champions. And so we feel like we put the infrastructure in place now, and now we just got to get the work done. That's it. Now, yeah, it sounds like you've, you've, you know, you have everything that you need and all the bits that can help you with that. And obviously that hopefully that, that does turn out to be the case. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure it will, and you'll have lots of success. Um, and, and just before we, we finish, Larry, I just want to come back briefly to, to talking about uh, the scholarship that you've offered. And just if anyone is, is it, it's Sean, Sean O'Neillon and, and Jack McCarthy, who, who, um, you've, you've, who, are, who are with you this year. And um, I guess, how, how have they got on so far this year? And, and then the second part of the, my, my question is, um, like, do you have plans for this to be a, th a thing next year with, with another couple of kids? Or like, yeah, how, how do you see that working as well? Yeah, for sure. So, um, firstly, you know, in case they happen to listen to this, I want to say thank you to, like I said, Garrett and James, we couldn't have put this together without them. They were, they were uh, instrumental, but also say, say thank you to the families because I know it takes a lot of trust to send your kids across the world. And they, they knew me secondhand through James Kluski or whatever it was, but, uh, you know, I, I really am grateful for the trust that they've shown us. And, um, you know, we're, we're doing our absolute best with the guys. So they've, they've been here for only 10 days. Uh, it's already fantastic. I've always said probably the number one challenge I have in Canada is that I have much more of an Irish sense of humor than I do a Canadian sense of humor. And so it's so much fun having the guys They're They're bringing a ton of energy. They're bringing a ton of fun, which is excellent. Um, Sean, unfortunately, the first day, I don't think the guys, uh, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I don't think their program was probably as intensive as it is here. And so the first day of training after having a couple of days rest and recovery when they first got here uh, was four hours on court and Sean really showed his toughness but I when I looked down at about hour three his grip was full of blood and I was like what the heck and it turned out his hands were all blisters and uh, he was playing through the pain which was you know a valiant effort on his part but it meant that uh, you know after our first day he ended up having to take four days off and then he came back on that and um, had a little muscle pull in his back. And so this morning was actually the first time that he was back on court um, in any major capacity since day one. Uh, so it's, it's too bad uh, that it started that way on the court for Sean. Um, but, you know, we've loved having him here. He's a great addition. His personality has been great. And it's obvious the game he has. I, you know, I'm really excited for him, his potential. I'm not even sure in my talks with him, he's, he comes across a pretty confident kid, but I'm not quite sure he realizes how good he could be. And so, you know, hopefully we can help along that journey and then Jack's been fantastic you know Jack's been on court with us every day and same thing you know bringing a really fun energy to it working hard he fits in really well with the level of kids that we have here um, and so yeah you know what they're they're 
it's so important that you get to play new people. And so it's been a nice addition to our group to get a couple more good players. It's been a great addition to get their personality and their work ethic. So as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's been fantastic for the first 10 days. And, and definitely the goal would be that this is a starting point for us. You know, um, I would love to make this an annual thing. You know, the, the guys came, if I have the terminology right, I know it's always easiest. Is it called your transition year? Is that the what you call it? I know it's, there's a little bit less responsibilities in school and things like that. So it's an easy one. I remember when McGee did his transition year, just doing work experience for me at Clontarf, which just meant playing tennis 10 hours a day, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, in the end, you know, we, we would love to do this. If this works out for, for um, Tennis Ireland, if it's something that we can do, then I feel great that I get a little chance to give back to a country that was so important to me. Um, and if it works out for the guys, then that would be fantastic. It's already clear to me it works out for us. So yeah, let, let's hope it's a, it's a continuous thing. We're loving it. That's great to hear. It's great to hear that, that they're, getting on, get, they're, they're getting on well and obviously great to hear that hopefully it is something that'll turn into a regular thing and, and mm. even even more um kids can get the opportunity over the next few years would be would be brilliant um yeah for sure like, yeah yeah you know the, the the one thing that gary was saying and you know i don't do these types of things to do any shameless plugs or anything but you know obviously um you know we're we're open to being able to support players at any point in their development so if anybody i i know that it's a fairly common thing even having lunch with the lads and they'll be sitting there saying oh yeah this player is in spain right now and this player is in england right now you know if somebody is looking for a good place where they know that their their kids will be well taken care of on and off the court, then, you know, we're happy to help anybody. But as far as this particular program, yeah, hundred percent, you know, we're, hopefully we can keep it going. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, and uh, before we finish up, Larry, um, I just want to ask you a final question. Uh, what's your favorite thing about tennis? What's my favorite thing about tennis? Favorite thing about tennis. Yeah. Man, that's the kind of question you should give somebody some lead time for. This is, this is what I'll say. Um, when there's a sports psychologist that I've done a lot of work with, and he would always suggest that tennis is the hardest sport in the world mentally. And his logic is that all individual sports are automatically harder than team sports mentally because you're on your own. And then he would say that tennis is the only individual sport that's actually driven by errors. And so if you win the US Open in those seven matches, you probably, I don't know, what did you make 20 unforced errors a match on average, maybe more, I don't know. Is it 140 errors you made and, and you're the Grand Slam champion? Whereas if you think of other individual sports like golf, you know, maybe in four rounds, you made four or five bogeys. I don't know, maybe, maybe you made four or five mistakes. Uh, and so he's saying that being on your own in a sport that's driven by mistakes um, it makes it the hardest sport in the world mentally. And, and it's funny because that's all a setup to say, I completely disagree with them. You know, my, my wife was a national champion figure skater. And so I ended up watching a lot of figure skating at the Olympics and different things. And when I look at these sports that you have to be perfect to win, now that's some serious stress, you know? So maybe my favorite thing about tennis is that you can win 51% of the points and win every match you ever played. You know, it's a, it's a very forgiving sport that way. And even I remember at one point uh, when I was coaching that girl uh, on the WTA tour, I was trying to show her because she had moved from like the 200s and the 100s and she'd broken to the top 100. So instead of playing a whole bunch of challenger type of events, she was going to start to play all the WTA events. And I went through the rankings and there was a girl that year, if I remember correctly, it might've been Nadia Petrova, who was like nine in the world and had a significantly losing record. 
She'd won like six matches and lost 17. It just happened that all six were in two grand slams. And so making, you know, making the fourth round of two grand slams, put her in the top 10 of the world, even though she'd lost every other match that year. So I love that you can keep losing, uh, whether that's losing points, losing games, uh, losing matches, and you can still be successful. I love that about tennis. It, it, it makes it so that it's, it's a sport that's built for the resilient, right? A lot, a lot of people can't handle that level of losing. It chips away at their confidence and belief. I'm pretty sure they're pretty soon they're done. But I really believe tennis is, epitomizes that saying that's like, you, you only fail if you quit, you know, as long as you keep going, uh, you've always got a chance to win. So very philosophical answer. You're probably yeah. asking me about Federer or something, uh, but, that's, <laughs> uh, but uh, I'd say that's my off the cuff answer. No, it's an interesting one. Cause it, it takes like what you said at the start of that, like about the errors, that kind of takes that on its head almost of, you know, the errors are there, but that's not what it's about kind of, and you can still win. And I like that. That's very interesting. Um, now, Larry, obviously a, a big thanks for, for your time again. And, you know, it's, it's great to hear about all, all your journey and all the different kind of roles that you've had over the years and, and uh, all the very best in, 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 with the centres you have in Canada. And, and now it's gonna, I'm sure it's going to be very successful. And it's great to hear about the Irish connection and um, hope, it, hope it stays that way. And yeah, well, yeah thanks very much and, and, and all the very best. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate that. And, and uh, if anybody wants to track the boys' results, our academy is called the P3 Tennis Academy, which stands for People, Passion, Performance. But if you go to p3tennisacademy.ca that has, you know, we'll be updating Sean and Jack along with all the other teams results on there. So if you want to track how they're doing, uh, feel free to jump over there and take a look. That's great. Brilliant. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll mention that uh, link in, in the description as well. So we can, uh, if, if people can check that out. That's great. A big thanks once again to Larry for his time with this episode. I really enjoyed getting to hear all about his coaching journey and his stories from Ireland and from elsewhere. I hope you enjoyed this episode as well. If you did, please consider subscribing to the show, leaving a comment, and also telling some friends about the show that you think might also enjoy it. A big thanks, and until next time, I've been Adam, and goodbye.